Chapter 9 of the Story of a Soul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Story of a Soul, the Autobiography of St. Therese of Lisieux, translated by Thomas Taylor. Chapter 9 The Night of the Soul. Dear Mother, I thought I had written enough and now you wish for more details of my religious life. I will not argue, but I cannot help smiling when I have to tell you things that you know quite as well as I do. Nevertheless, I will obey. I do not ask what use this manuscript can be to any one. I assure you that even were you to burn it before my eyes, without having read it, I should not mind in the least. The opinion is not uncommon in the community that you have always indulged me, ever since I entered the convent. However, man seeth those things that appear but the lord beholdeth the heart first kings sixteen verse seven dear mother once again i thank you for not having spared me jesus knew well that his little flower needed the life-giving water of humiliation it was too weak to take root otherwise and to you it owes so great a blessing but for some months the divine master has entirely changed his method of cultivating his little flower finding no doubt that it has been sufficiently watered he now allows it to expand under the warm rays of a brilliant sun he smiles on it and this favor also comes through you dear mother but far from doing it harm those smiles make the little flower grow in a wondrous way deep down in its heart it treasures those precious drops of dew the mortifications of other days and they remind it that it is small and frail even were all creatures to draw near to admire and flatter it that would not add a shade of idle satisfaction to the true joy which thrills it on realizing that in god's eyes it is but a poor worthless thing and nothing more when i say that i am indifferent to praise i am not speaking dear mother of the love and confidence you show me on the contrary i am deeply touched thereby but i feel that i have now nothing to fear and i can listen to those praises unperturbed attributing to god all that is good in me if it please him to make me appear better than i am it is nothing to me he can act as he will my god how many ways dost thou lead souls we read of saints who left absolutely nothing at their death not the least thing by which to remember them not even a single line of writing and there are others like our holy mother saint teresa who have enriched the church with their sublime teaching and have not hesitated to reveal the secrets of the king tobias twelve verse seven that he may be better known and better loved which of these two ways is more pleasing to our lord it seems to me that they are equally so all those beloved by god have followed the inspiration of the holy ghost who commanded the prophets to write tell the just man that all is well footnote cross-reference isaiah three verse ten and footnote yes all is well when one seeks only the master's will and so i poor little flower obey my jesus when i try to please you who represent him here on earth you know it has ever been my desire to become a saint but i have always felt in comparing myself with the saints that i am as far removed from them as the grain of sand which the passer-by tramples underfoot is remote from the mountain whose summit is lost in the clouds instead of being discouraged i conclude that god would not inspire desires which could not be realized and that i may aspire to sanctity in spite of my littleness for me to become great is impossible 
I must bear with myself and my many imperfections, but I will seek out a means of getting to heaven by a little way, very short and very straight, a little way that is wholly new. We live in an age of inventions. Nowadays the rich need not trouble to climb the stairs, they have lifts instead. Well, I mean to try and find a lift by which I may be raised unto God, for I am too tiny to climb the steep stairway of perfection. I have sought to find in Holy Scripture some suggestion as to what this lift might be which I so much desired. And I read these words uttered by the eternal wisdom itself. Whosoever is a little one, let him come to me. Proverbs 9 verse 4 Then I drew near to God, feeling sure that I had discovered what I sought, but wishing to know further what he would do to the little one. I continued my search, and this is what I found. You shall be carried at the breast and upon the knees, as one whom the mother caresseth, so will I comfort you. Isaiah 66, verse 12, 13. Never have I been consoled by words more tender and sweet. Thine arms, then, O Jesus, are the lift which must raise me up even unto heaven. To get there I need not grow. On the contrary, I must remain little. I must become still less. O my God, Thou hast gone beyond my expectation, and I, I will sing Thy mercies. Thou hast taught me, O Lord, from my youth, and till now I have declared Thy wonderful works, and thus unto old age and gray hairs. Footnote. Cross-reference Psalm 70, 71, verse 17, 18. End footnote. What will this old age be for me? It seems to me that it could as well be now as later. Two thousand years are no more in the eyes of the Lord than twenty, than a single day. But do not think, dear mother, that your child is anxious to leave you, and deems it a greater grace to die in the morning rather than in the evening of life. To please Jesus is what she really values and desires above all things. Now that he seems to come near and draw her to his heavenly home, she is glad. She has understood that God has need of no one to do good upon earth, still less of her than of others. Meanwhile, I know your will, dear mother. You wish me to carry out, at your side, a work which is both sweet and easy, and this work I shall complete in heaven. Footnote. Sor Therese had charge of the novices without being given the title of novice mistress. End footnote. You have said to me, as our Lord said to St. Peter, Feed my lambs. I am amazed, for I feel that I am so little. I have entreated you to feed your little lambs yourself, and to keep me among them. You have complied in part with my reasonable wish, and have called me their companion, rather than their mistress, telling me nevertheless to lead them through fertile and shady pastures, to point out where the grass is sweetest and best, and warn them against the brilliant but poisonous flowers, which they must never touch except to crush underfoot. How is it, dear mother, that my youth and inexperience have not frightened you? Are you not afraid that I shall let your lambs stray afar? In acting as you have done, perhaps you remember that our Lord is often pleased to give wisdom to little ones. On this earth it is rare indeed to find souls who do not measure God's omnipotence by their own narrow thoughts. The world is always ready to admit exceptions everywhere here below. God alone is denied this liberty. It has long been the custom among men to reckon experience by age, for in his youth the holy King David sang to his Lord, I am young and despised. Psalm 118, 119, verse 141. But in the same psalm he does not fear to say, I have had understanding above old men, because I have sought thy commandments. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, 
and a light to my paths. I have sworn, and I am determined to keep the judgments of thy justice. Psalm 118, 119, verse 100, 105, 106. And you did not even consider it imprudent to assure me one day that the Divine Master had enlightened my soul and given me the experience of years. I am too little now to be guilty of vanity. I am likewise too little to endeavor to prove my humility by fine-sounding words. I prefer to own in all simplicity that he that is mighty hath done great things to me. Luke 1, verse 49. And the greatest is that he has shown me my littleness, and how incapable I am of anything good. My soul has known trials of many kinds. I have suffered much on this earth. In my childhood I suffered with sadness, but now I find sweetness in all things. Any one but you, dear mother, who know me thoroughly, would smile at reading these pages, for has ever a soul seemed less tried than mine? But if the martyrdom which I have endured for the past year were made known, how astonished every one would be! Since it is your wish, I will try to describe it. But there are no words really to explain these things. The words will always fall short of the reality. During Lent last year, I felt much better than ever, and continued so until Holy Week, in spite of the fast which I observed in all its rigor. But in the early hours of Good Friday, Jesus gave me to hope that I should soon join him in his beautiful home. How sweet is this memory! I could not obtain permission to remain watching at the altar of repose throughout the Thursday night, and I returned to our cell at midnight. Scarcely was my head laid on the pillow when I felt a hot stream rise to my lips. I thought I was going to die, and my heart nearly broke with joy. But as I had already put out our lamp, I mortified my curiosity until the morning and slept in peace. At five o'clock, when it was time to get up, I remembered at once that I had some good news to learn, and going to the window I found, as I had expected, that our handkerchief was soaked with blood. Dearest mother, what hope was mine? I was firmly convinced that on this anniversary of his death, my beloved had allowed me to hear his first call, like a sweet distant murmur, heralding his joyful approach. I assisted at prime and chapter most fervently, and then I hastened to cast myself at my mother's knees and confide to her my happiness. I did not feel the least pain, so I easily obtained permission to finish Lent as I had begun, and on this Good Friday I shared in all the austerities of the Carmel without any relaxation. Never had these austerities seemed sweeter to me. The hope of soon entering heaven transported me with joy. Still full of joy, I returned to our cell on the evening of that happy day, and was quietly falling asleep, when my sweet Jesus gave me the sign, as on the previous night, of my speedy entrance to eternal life. I felt such a clear and lively faith that the thought of heaven was my sole delight. I could not believe it possible for men to be utterly devoid of faith, and I was convinced that those who deny the existence of another world really lie in their hearts. But during the paschal days, so full of light, our Lord made me understand that there really are, in truth, souls bereft of faith and hope, who, through the abuse of grace, lose these precious treasures, the only source of pure and lasting joy. He allowed my soul to be overwhelmed with darkness, and the thought of heaven, which had consoled me from my earliest childhood, now became a subject of conflict and torture. This trial did not last merely for days or weeks. I have been suffering for months, and I still await deliverance. I wish I could express what I feel, but it is beyond me. One must have passed through this dark tunnel to understand its blackness. However, I will try to explain it by means of a comparison. 
let me suppose that i had been born in a land of thick fogs and had never seen the beauties of nature or a single ray of sunshine although i had heard of these wonders from my early youth and knew that the country wherein i dwelt was not my real home there was another land unto which i should always look forward now this is not a fable invented by an inhabitant of the land of fog it is the solemn truth for the king of that sunlit country dwelt for three and thirty years in the land of darkness and alas the darkness did not understand that he was the light of the world footnote cross-reference john one verse five and footnote but dear lord thy child has understood thou art the light divine she asks thy pardon for her unbelieving brethren and is willing to eat the bread of sorrow as long as thou mayest wish for love of thee she will sit at that table of bitterness where these poor sinners take their food and she will not stir from it until thou givest the sign but may she not say in her own name and the name of her guilty brethren o god be merciful to us sinners footnote cross-reference luke eighteen verse thirteen and footnote send us away justified may all those whom faith does not shine see the light at last o oh my god if that table which they profane can be purified by one that loves thee i am willing to remain there alone to eat the bread of tears until it shall please thee to bring me to thy kingdom of light the only favor i ask is that i may never give thee cause for offence from the time of my childhood i felt that one day i should be set free from this land of darkness i believe it not only because i had been told so by others but my heart's most secret and deepest longings assured me that there was in store for me another and more beautiful country an abiding dwelling place i was like christopher columbus whose genius anticipated the discovery of the new world and suddenly the mists about me have penetrated my very soul and have enveloped me so completely that i cannot even picture to myself this promised country all has faded away when my heart weary of the surrounding darkness tries to find some rest in the thought of a life to come my anguish increases it seems to me that out of the darkness i hear the mocking voice of the unbeliever you dream of a land of light and fragrance you dream that the creator of these wonders will be yours forever you think one day to escape from these mists where you now languish nay rejoice in death which will give you not what i hope for but a night darker still the night of utter nothingness dear mother this description of what i suffer is far removed from reality as the first rough outline is from the model but i fear that to write more were to blaspheme even now i may have said too much may god forgive me he knows that i try to live by faith though it does not afford me the least consolation i have made more acts of faith in this last year than during all the rest of my life each time that my enemy would provoke me to combat i behave as a gallant soldier i know that a duel is an act of cowardice and so without once looking him in the face i turn my back on the foe then i hasten to my savior and vow that i am ready to shed my blood in witness of my belief in heaven i tell him if only he will deign to open it to poor unbelievers i am content to sacrifice all pleasure in the thought of it as long as i live and in spite of this trial which robs me of all comfort i still can say thou hast given me o lord delight in all thou dost psalm ninety one ninety two verse five for what joy can be greater than to suffer for thy love the more the suffering is and the less it appears before men the more it is to thy honour and glory even if 
but I know it to be impossible. Thou shouldest not deign to heed my sufferings. I should still be happy to bear them, in the hope that by my tears I might perhaps prevent or atone for one sin against faith. No doubt, dear mother, will you think I exaggerate somewhat the night of my soul. If you judge by the poems I have composed this year, it must seem as though I have been flooded with consolations, like a child for whom the veil of faith is almost rent asunder. And yet it is not a veil. It is a wall which rises to the very heavens and shuts out the starry sky. When I sing of the happiness of heaven and the eternal possession of God, I do not feel any joy therein, for I sing only of what I wish to believe. Sometimes, I confess, a little ray of sunshine illumines my dark night, and I enjoy peace for an instant, but later, the remembrance of this ray of light, instead of consoling me, makes the blackness thicker still, and yet never have I felt so deeply how sweet and merciful is the Lord. He did not send me this heavy cross when it might have discouraged me, but at a time when I was able to bear it. Now it simply takes from me all natural satisfaction I might feel in my longing for heaven. Dear mother, it seems to me that at present there is nothing to impede my upward flight, for I have no longer any desire save to love him till I die. I am free, I fear nothing, not even what I dreaded more than anything else, a long illness which would make me a burden to the community. Should it please the good God, I am quite content to have my bodily and mental sufferings prolonged for years. I do not fear a long life, I do not shrink from the struggle. The Lord is the rock upon which I stand, who teaches my hands to fight and my fingers to war. He is my protector, and I have hoped in Him. Psalm 143, 144, verse 1, 2. I have never asked God to let me die young. It is true I have always thought I should do so, but it is a favor I have not tried to obtain. Our Lord is often content with the wish to do something for His glory, and you know the immensity of my desires. You know also that Jesus has offered me more than one bitter chalice through my dearly loved sisters. The holy King David was right when he sang, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 132, 133, verse 1. But such unity can only exist upon earth in the midst of sacrifice. It was not in order to be with my sisters that I came to this holy carmel. On the contrary, I knew well that in curbing my natural affection I should have much to suffer. How can it be said that it is more perfect to separate oneself from home and friends? Has anyone ever reproached brothers who fight side by side, or together win the martyr's palm? It is true, no doubt, they encourage each other. But it is also true that the martyrdom of each is a martyrdom to them all. And so it is in the religious life. Theologians call it a martyrdom. A heart given to God loses nothing of its natural affection. On the contrary, this affection grows stronger by becoming purer and more spiritual. It is with this love, dear mother, that I love you and my sisters. I am glad to fight beside you for the glory of the King of Heaven, but I am ready to go to another battlefield. Did the divine commander but express a wish? An order would not be necessary. A simple look, a sign would suffice. Ever since I came to the Carmel, I have thought that if our Lord did not take me quickly to heaven, my lot would be that of Nose Dove, and that one day he would open the window of the ark and bid me fly to heathen lands, bearing the olive branch. This thought has helped me to soar above all created things. Knowing that even in the Carmel there must be partings, I tried to make my abode in heaven, and I accepted not only exile in the midst of an unknown people, 
but what was far more bitter i accepted exile for my sisters and indeed two of them were asked for by the carmel of saigon our own foundation for a time there was serious question of their being sent and i would not say a word to hold them back though my heart ached at the thought of the trials awaiting them now all that is at an end the superiors were absolutely opposed to their departure and i only touched the cup with my lips long enough to taste of its bitterness let me tell you dear mother why if our lady cures me i wish to respond to the call from our mothers of hanoi it appears that to live in foreign carmels a very special vocation is needed and many souls think they are called without being so in reality you have told me that i have this vocation and that my health alone stands in the way but if i am destined one day to leave this carmel it will not be without a pang my heart is naturally sensitive and because this is a cause of much suffering i wish to offer jesus whatsoever it can bear here i am loved by you and all the sisters and this love is very sweet to me and i dream of a convent where i should be unknown where i should taste the bitterness of exile i know only too well how useless i am and so it is not for the sake of the services i might render to the carmel of hanoi that i would leave all that is dearest to me my sole reason would be to do god's will and sacrifice myself for him and i should not suffer any disappointment for when we expect nothing but suffering then the least joy is a surprise and later on suffering itself becomes the greatest of all joys when we seek it as a precious treasure but i know i shall never recover from this sickness and yet i am at peace for years i have not belonged to myself i have surrendered myself wholly to jesus and he is free to do with me whatsoever he pleases he has spoken to me of exile and has asked me if i would consent to drink of that chalice at once i essayed to grasp it but he withdrawing his hand showed me that my consent was all he desired o oh my god from how much disquiet do we free ourselves by the vow of obedience happy is the simple religious her one guide being the will of her superiors she is ever sure of following the right path and has no fear of being mistaken even when it seems that her superiors are making a mistake but if she ceases to consult the unerring compass then at once her soul goes astray in barren wastes where the waters of grace quickly fail dear mother you are the compass jesus has given me to direct me safely to the eternal shore i find it most sweet to fix my eyes upon you and then do the will of my lord by allowing me to suffer these temptations against faith he has greatly increased the spirit of faith which makes me see him living in your soul and through you communicating his holy commands i am well aware that you lighten the burden of obedience for me but deep in my heart i feel that my attitude would not change nor would my filial affection grow less were you to treat me with severity and this because i should still see the will of god manifesting itself in another way for the greater good of my soul among the numberless graces that i have received this year not the least of which is an understanding of how far-reaching is the precept of charity i had never before fathomed these words of our lord the second commandment is like the first thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself matthew twenty two verse thirty nine i had set myself above all to love god and it was in loving him that i discovered the hidden meaning of these other words it is not those who say lord lord who enter into the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father footnote cross-reference matthew seven verse twenty one and footnote 
Jesus revealed me this will when at the Last Supper he gave his new commandment in telling his apostles to love one another as he had loved them. Footnote. Cross-reference John 13, verse 34. End footnote. I set myself to find out how he had loved his apostles, and I saw that it was not for their natural qualities, for they were ignorant men, full of earthly ideas, and yet he calls them his friends, his brethren. He desires to see them near him in the kingdom of his father, and in order to admit them to this kingdom, he wills to die on the cross, saying, Greater love than this no man hath, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John 15, verse 12. As I meditated on these divine words, I saw how imperfect was the love I bore my sisters in religion. I understood that I did not love them as our Lord loves them. I know now that true charity consists in bearing all our neighbors' defects, not being surprised at their weakness, but edified at their smallest virtues. Above all, I know that charity must not remain shut up in the heart. For, no man lighteth a candle, and putteth it in a hidden place, nor under a bushel, but upon a candlestick, that they who came in may see the light. Luke 11, verse 33. It seems to me, dear mother, this candle represents that charity which enlightens and gladdens, not only those who are dear to us, but all those who are of the household. In the old law, when God told his people to love their neighbor as themselves, he had not yet come down upon earth, and knowing full well how man loves himself, he could not ask anything greater. But when our Lord gave his apostles a new commandment, his own commandment, John 15, verse 12, he was not content with saying, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, but would have them love even as he had loved, and as he will love till the end of time. O oh, my Jesus, thou dost never ask what is impossible. Thou knowest better than I, how frail and imperfect I am, and thou knowest that I shall never love my sisters as thou hast loved them, unless within me thou lovest them, dear Lord. It is because thou dost desire to grant me this grace, that thou hast given a new commandment. Oh, how I love it, since I am assured thereby, that it is thy will to love in me, all those thou dost bid me love. Yes, I know when I show charity to others, it is simply Jesus acting in me, and the more closely I am united to him, the more dearly I love my sisters. If I wish to increase this love in my heart, and the devil tries to bring before me the defects of a sister, I hasten to look for her virtues, her good motives. I call to mind that though I may have seen her fall once, no doubt she has gained many victories over herself, which in her humility she conceals. It is even possible that what seems to me a fault may very likely, on account of her good intention, be an act of virtue. I have no difficulty in persuading myself of this, because I have had the same experience. One day, during recreation, the portress came to ask for a sister to help her. I had a childish longing to do this work, and it happened the choice fell upon me. I therefore began to fold up our needlework, but so slowly that my neighbor, who I knew would like to take my place, was ready before me. The sister who had asked for help, seeing how deliberate I was, said laughingly, I thought you would not add this pearl to your crown. You are so extremely slow. And all the community thought I had yielded to natural reluctance. I cannot tell you what profit I derived from this incident, and it made me indulgent towards others. It still checks any feelings of vanity when I am praised, for I reflect that since my small acts of virtue can be mistaken for imperfections, why should not my imperfections be mistaken for virtue? 
and i say with saint paul to me it is a very small thing to be judged by you or by man's day but neither do i judge myself he that judgeth me is the lord first corinthians four verse three four and it is the lord it is jesus who is my judge therefore i will try always to think leniently of others that he may judge me leniently or rather not at all since he says judge not and ye shall not be judged luke six verse thirty seven but returning to the holy gospel where our lord explains to me clearly in what his new commandment consists i read in saint matthew you have heard that it hath been said thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy but i say unto you love your enemies and pray for them that persecute you matthew five verse forty three forty four there are, of course, no enemies in the Carmel, but, after all, we have our natural likes and dislikes. We may feel drawn towards one sister, and may be tempted to go a long way round to avoid meeting another. Well, our Lord tells me that this is the sister to love and pray for, even though her behavior may make me imagine she does not care for me. If you love them that love you, what thanks are to you? For sinners also love those who love them. Luke 6, verse 32 and it is not enough to love we must prove our love naturally one likes to please a friend but that is not charity for sinners do the same our lord also taught me give to every one that asketh thee and of him that taketh away thy goods ask them not again luke six verse thirty to give to every one who asks is not so pleasant as to give of one's own accord if we are asked pleasantly it is easy to give but if we are asked discourteously then unless we are in perfect charity there is an inward rebellion and we find no end of excuses for refusing perhaps after first pointing out the rudeness of the request we make such a favor of consenting thereto that the slight service takes far less time to perform than was lost in arguing the point and if it is difficult to give to whosoever asks it is far more difficult to let what belongs to us to be taken without asking it again dear mother i say this is hard but i should rather say that it seems hard for the yoke of the lord is sweet and his burden light matthew eleven verse thirty and when we submit to that yoke we at once feel its sweetness i have said jesus does not wish me to ask again for what is my own this ought to seem quite easy for in reality nothing is mine i ought then to be glad when an occasion arises which brings home to me the poverty to which i am vowed i used to think myself completely detached but since our lord's words have become clear i see that i am indeed very imperfect for instance when starting to paint if i find the brushes in disorder and a ruler or penknife gone i feel inclined to lose patience and have to keep a firm hold over myself not to betray my feelings of course i may ask for these needful things and if i do so humbly i am not disobeying our lord's command I am then like the poor who hold out their hands for the necessaries of life, and if refused, are not surprised, since no one owes them anything. Deep peace inundates the soul when it soars above mere natural sediments. There is no joy equal to that which is shared by the truly poor in spirit. If they ask with detachment for something necessary, and not only is it refused, but an attempt is made to take away what they already possess, they are following the master's advice if any man will take away thy coat let him have thy cloak also matthew five verse forty to give up one's cloak is it seems to me to renounce every right and to regard oneself as the servant 
the slave of all. Without a cloak it is easier to walk or run, and so the master adds, and whosoever shall force thee to go one mile, go with him other two. Matthew 5, verse 41. It is therefore not enough for me to give to whoever asks. I ought to anticipate the wish, and show myself glad to be of service. But if anything of mine be taken away, I should show myself glad to be rid of it. I cannot always carry out to the letter the words of the gospel, for there are occasions when I am compelled to refuse some request. Yet when charity is deeply rooted in the soul, it lets itself be outwardly seen, and there is a way of refusing so graciously what one is unable to give, that the refusal affords as much pleasure as the gift would have done. It is true that people do not hesitate to ask from those who readily oblige. Nevertheless, I ought not to avoid inopportune sisters on the pretext that I shall be forced to refuse. The Divine Master has said, From him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. Matthew 5, verse 42. Nor should I be kind in order to appear so, or in the hope that the sister will return the service. For once more it is written, If you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thanks are to you? For sinners also lend to sinners for to receive as much. But you do good and lend, hoping for nothing thereby, and your reward shall be great. Luke 6, verse 34, 35. Verily, the reward is great even on earth. In this path, it is only the first step which costs. To lend without hope of being repaid seems hard. One would rather give outright, for what you give is no longer yours. When a sister says confidently, I want your help for some hours, I have our mother's leave, and be assured I will do as much for you later. One may know well that these hours lent will not be repaid, and be sorely tempted to say, I prefer to give them, but that would gratify self-love, besides letting the sister feel that you do not rely much on her promise. The divine precepts run contrary to our natural inclinations, and without the help of grace it would be impossible to understand them, far less to put them in practice. Dear mother, I feel that I have expressed myself with more than usual confusion, and I do not know what you can find to interest you in these rambling pages, but I am not aiming at a literary masterpiece, and if I weary you by this discourse on charity, it will at least prove your child's good will. I must confess I am far from living up to my ideal, and yet the very desire to do so gives me a feeling of peace. If I fall into some fault, I arise again at once and for some months now I have not even had to struggle. I have been able to say with our Holy Father, St. John of the Cross, My house is entirely at peace, and I attribute this interior peace to a victory I gained over myself. Since that victory the hosts of heaven have hastened to my aid, for they will not allow me to be wounded, now that I have fought so valiantly. A holy nun of our community annoyed me in all that she did. The devil must have had something to do with it, and he, it was undoubtedly, who made me see in her so many disagreeable points. I did not want to yield to my natural antipathy, for I remember that charity ought to betray itself in deeds, and not exist merely in the feelings, so I set myself to do for this sister all I should do for the one I loved most. Every time I met her I prayed for her, and offered to God her virtues and merits. I felt that this was very pleasing to our Lord, for there is no artist who is not gratified when his works are praised, and the divine artist of souls is pleased when we do not stop at the exterior. 
but penetrating to the interior sanctuary he has chosen admire its beauty i did not rest satisfied with praying for this sister who gave me such occasions for self-mastery i tried to render her as many services as i could and when tempted to answer her sharply i made haste to smile and change the subject for the imitation says it is more profitable to leave every one to his way of thinking than to give way to contentious discourses and sometimes when the temptation was very severe i would run like a deserter from the battlefield if i could do so without letting the sister guess my inward struggle one day she said to me with a beaming face my dear sor therese tell me what attraction you find in me for whenever we meet you greet me with such a sweet smile ah what attracted me was jesus hidden in the depths of her soul jesus who maketh sweet even that which is most bitter i spoke just now dear mother of the flight that is my last resource to escape defeat it is not honorable i confess but during my novitiate whenever i had recourse to this means it invariably succeeded i will give you a striking example which will i am sure amuse you you had been ill with bronchitis for several days and we were all uneasy about you one morning in my duty as sacristan i came to put back the keys of the communion grating this was my work and i was very pleased to have an opportunity of seeing you though i took good care not to show it one of the sisters full of solicitude feared i should awake you and tried to take the keys from me i told her as politely as i could that i was quite as anxious as she was there should be no noise and added that it was my right to return them i see now that it would have been more perfect simply to yield but i did not see it then and so i followed her into the room very soon what she feared came to pass the noise did awaken you all the blame fell upon me the sister i had argued with began a long discourse of which the point was sor therese made all the noise i was burning to defend myself but a happy inspiration of grace came to me i thought that if i began to justify myself i should certainly lose my peace of mind and as i had too little virtue to let myself be unjustly accused without answering my last chance of safety lay in flight no sooner thought than done i hurried away but my heart beat so violently i could not go far and i was obliged to sit down on the stairs to enjoy in quiet the fruit of my victory this is an odd kind of courage undoubtedly but i think it is best not to expose oneself in the face of certain defeat when i recall these days of my novitiate i understand how far i was from perfection and the memory of certain things makes me laugh how good god has been to have trained my soul and given it wings all the snares of the hunter can no longer frighten me for a net is spread in vain before the eyes of them that have wings proverbs one verse twenty seven it may be that some day my present state will appear to me full of defects but nothing now surprises me and i do not even distress myself because i am so weak on the contrary i glory therein and expect each day to find fresh imperfections nay i must confess these lights on my own nothingness are of more good to my soul than lights on matters of faith remembering that charity covereth a multitude of sins proverbs ten verse twelve i draw from this rich mine which our saviour has opened to us in the gospels i search the depths of his adorable words and cry out with david i have run in the way of thy commandments since thou hast enlarged my heart psalms one eighteen one nineteen verse thirty two 
and charity alone can make wide the heart. O oh, Jesus, since its sweet flame consumes my heart, I run with delight in the way of thy new commandment, and I desire to run therein until that blessed day when, with thy company of virgins, I shall follow thee through thy boundless realm, singing thy new canticle, the canticle of love. End of chapter 9